0: Maddie's believes nature is beautiful, majestic, serene. But human nature is inventive, intrepid, reckless. Nature says, look how many colors I can fit in a sunset. Human nature says, look how many hot wings I can fit in my mouth. But human nature needs nature. That's why there's Maddie's All Natural Acid and Indigestion Relief, a drug-free remedy for human nature, available at Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: Hey guys, if you enjoy this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talko Supremo. You are now tuned in to TM2M, the number one podcast for true crime, murder, and Japanese torture techniques. And now your host, Nikweez.
2: Good morning, Tacos it's been nearly 25 years since popular news anchor Jody Huzentrude vanished outside her apartment complex theories abound including one of a creepy white van and even speculation of police involvement and a subsequent cover-up stay tuned for more details and even new developments in this cold case and now we turn to miss Jen Bongos with sports
1: Jen hello I think she's still sleeping.
3: That's exactly why I haven't had a sip yet. So this drink is called the Anchor Watch. And when I was looking for a drink, um, this is the first one that popped up. And I was like, I can do that, but I don't have that one of those ingredients. And then I found another one called the Amethyst Anchor, which sounded much more fun. And I was like, perfect. I still have to get that one ingredient, um, but we have everything else. Mm. Except when I got back, I discovered that we didn't have everything else because we didn't have the Blue Curacao. We do have blue Curacao. Where is it? It's in the cabinet. I didn't see it. It's in there. Alrighty, <sighs> let's try this again. Alright, so the hint tonight was Anchor. This drink is called the Amethyst Anchor. Much better. Um, <laughs> Still tastes weird. Yeah, it probably will taste weird
1: gin, Ugh, what in the fuck
3: <laughs> <laughs> it has an ingredient we've never used before strike
1: two uh,
3: shut shut it kind of tastes like root beer does it? is it like sassafras? no it is creme de cassis which is a black currant liquor hmm, I kind of like it it's definitely better than the last one so yeah it is rum blue curacao, creme de cassis and ginger beer
2: Oh, ah, okay I can taste the ginger beer too Surprise shots,
3: surprise shots. We don't know what they are, cause they're a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like a choo-choo. Alrighty. Uh, I also picked out the shot, so. Oh boy. Let me guess, tequila? No.
2: Why don't we
1: still drink on this podcast? Cheers. Cheers. I feel like that was just the beginning thing and we should just sober up now. I guess not. Oh, fuck me. Strike three.
3: No. <laughs> Was that apple whiskey? Yes. Hmm. Jack Apple.
1: Jack Apple. Japple. It
2: kinda tastes like apple juice. We just got a message from somebody on Instagram about how they love taking surprise shots with us. So oh, it's shit.
1: kind of our thing. That's crazy. We have an Instagram.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she said, come to Toronto.
1: Oh. But don't shit. tell
2: Nicole that. You're going to Toronto because she hates Canada. I don't hate Canada. I just think Canada makes bad decisions when it comes to,
3: you know, sentencing people. I'm but a, I'm okay with going to Canada because I've recently discovered this show on Hulu. Not like I discovered it personally, but personally, I I, I have started watching Letter Kenny, and it's filmed in Ontario. Hmm. And the creator Jared Kiso is. Fine. So, if any of our fans know him, or if you listen, Jared, you can find me at... You can find me. There'll be, there are ways. <laughs> you
1: can find me. There are ways. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but I also said that... Um,
2: I don't think we would survive in a car driving all the way to Canada. With oh yeah, each other. you guys, you
3: guys can go to Canada in the
2: car. No, I want
1: to go to fucking Canada. I'll Who the fly. want to go to Canada. I kind of
3: do. Fans.
1: Oh. I want to go to. Canada.
3: <laughs> that, that was the whole point of how <laughs> we started shit. this conversation. <laughs> I, I want to go to Canada because they have poutine there. And
1: what? What the fuck is poutine?
3: It's we've had it before. It's it's fries, fries with gravy and, gravy and, and cheese. cheese. We released our tickets for our. Up and coming Charleston show last week. And if you don't want to miss out, then you need to buy them because they're going to go like hot cakes.
1: You can also buy them and resell them uh, at a markup for a profit. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> oh, that's me that does that. <laughs> <Shit. laughs> Wouldn't it be fucked up <sighs> if I did that? Yeah. It I'm would. like outside scalping my own <laughs> tickets. <laughs>
2: Pushing the price up. I'll I'll pay $40. All
1: right. Full transparency, everyone. Nicole knows this story. This is the second time that I asked for her help. Not because I couldn't do it myself, but some days I feel kind of lazy. So I asked for her help. The first episode she did help me was Kanika Jenkins. But that and this is the only two episodes that she knew beforehand. And, of course, Jen Knows nothing. E- ev- that's, even a general, about the, yeah. that's a
3: general <laughs> <Yeah>. statement, <laughs> yeah. of Per usual, Jen knows nothing Jen about knows the episode, nothing. or Jen knows nothing. Period. Yeah. Um. All right. So I I I want to say that we're going to Ann Arbor, and there's a murder on the naval base there. Ooh. And this is in 1994.
1: I do want to throw out a little trivia before we get started. I. Forgot to mention this on our last episode the Bud Dwyer episode but the filter song Hey Man Nice Shot was actually inspired by the Bud Dwyer live suicide incident so it's kind of a little tidbit that there That is so
2: crazy cuz we were watching um, we were watching Larry the Cable Guy the other day And it was after... No, we were not. No, it was just the Cable Guy. The Cable Guy. guy.
1: Larraday Cable Guy is like that redneck.
2: Oh, sorry. It's okay. All right, so we were watching Jim Carrey in The Cable Guy, and that it was right after we recorded the Hey Man I Shot. I think John was just about to put the episode out. And they played that song in the movie, and what a freaking coincidence that... We had just done the episode and we were just about to put it out and we were watching this movie and it had that song in
1: Yeah, it. I had forgot to mention that. I'm sorry, but yeah, there's that a lot cool. of there's a lot of popular culture that has been inspired by that. All right, so tonight we're going to Mason City, Iowa, June twenty-seventh, nineteen ninety-five. Tonight we're talking about Jody who's in truth, and that's the last time I'm going to say her last name. From now on, I'm going to refer to her as Jody. J-O-D-I. Her last name is H-U-I-S-E-N-T-R-U-I-T. We're going to June 27th, 1995. It's a Tuesday. And we are coming up on the 25th anniversary of her disappearance. This is a disappearance. This is a nobody case. No one knows if she's dead or alive. Most presume she's dead, though. Nicole, can you please describe for our audience what Jody looks like?
2: She is twenty-seven. Oh, describe
1: her, damn it! Not her age. <laughs> she well, I, that was what you asked me to do. Look, she's exactly twenty-seven. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, well, she is blonde. Um, she's got short blonde hair and like a news angry bob. That's voluminous, fair skinned, light eyes, and very pretty.
1: Jody, twenty seven years old, she was a news anchor and she was very well liked within the Mason City community. She worked at KIMT. It's the news station, K I M T. And as you see in the picture right there, Jen, it says six oh five A.M. She would actually go to work, leave her house at three AM to be on the air for these morning broadcasts. So yeah.
3: How do news stations get their letters?
1: Holy shit, that is a really good question. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the uh, like the uh, frequencies or something.
3: Like That's Boston is WBZ? Don't know. It's a great question. That's a
1: great question, Jen. Can someone answer that for us, please? So she's working at KIMT. I asked Nicole to go into her background. And like I said, Nicole actually knows the story. She helped me on it. So, Nicole, please tell our audience about Jody Hoisentroit.
2: Well, she was 27 years old at the time of her disappearance. Uh, she was a Minnesota native and graduated from St. Cloud State University. She was an avid skier and moved to Mason City to become the morning and noon anchorwoman two years before
3: she disappeared.
1: Wait, isn't Minnesota directly somewhere near Iowa?
3: West. No, it's northwest of it, I think. No, Is it East, connected? Northeast, it's northeast. Is it connected? No, it's not. Actually, it's not near Iowa. I'm thinking it, of Indiana. Minnesota sits on top of Iowa. Does it? Jeez. Yes.
2: <laughs> Why? Am I? Oh, I was thinking of Idaho. <laughs> I was
3: thinking of Idaho.
1: That's potatoes, not corn.
2: Um, She was re- referred to as vivacious and fun, kind almost to a fault, like possibly naive is how um, friends and her sister referred to her as. The Quad City Times from Davenport Iowa on June 23rd of 1996 said the blonde petite bubbly who's intrude was well known and well liked in the Mason City area her disappearance drew a community-wide response posters hung in store windows yellow ribbons waved from the trees and light posts billboards shouted "Find Jody and then I also have some diary entries from Jody. Ooh.
1: Ooh, those diary entries were released to the media. So in one of the reports I was looking at, unbeknownst to the family, Wow! the diary entries kind of show her aspirations and ambitions of being a popular news anchor.
3: You know what's sad to think about is that as a news anchor, you would imagine that she would typically be the one to report a missing person. Mm. And like how do you wrap your head around having to report that about your coworker? Yeah,
1: that's a really good point because she actually had a coworker that was the producer. Her name is Amy Coons, which we're going to read some of her stuff and hear some of her interview here in a second. But she was the one who had to report because if Jody misses that morning broadcast, She's got to step in for her. So the next day, when all the cops are doing the search and everyone knows she's missing, she's the one. Her good friend Amy Coons is the one that has to report her missing, like what you just said. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, and she's still got to maintain a professional composure about it.
2: The Globe Gazette on June twenty second two thousand eight takes from her diary. Uh, she wrote this in early 1994. There is no time better than now to begin practicing being the best I can be and living the way I want to live. Throughout the first couple of months of 1994, Who's in Truth had lengthy entries in the journal. I love news, she wrote in a late January 1994 entry. Improve my career, make more money, communicate, have more impact on a larger audience. Get the Who's in Truth name out. Make mom proud. I need to give myself five years in business, who is in truth wrote. I'm not where I want to be. Her goals included anchoring at a top 50 television station, getting rid of her accent, living in a warm state, having enough money to travel, and buying nice gifts and being generous. In several entries, Jody wrote about male friends and a love of dancing. On a cruise, she met a man she liked. Why do I get hooked on so fast, she questioned. I'm lonely here at times and would like to have someone to share my life with. Sure, I meet men, but none that really strikes me. Can relate. That's what I got for now. I'm going to go back to the journal entries when we get to a suspect.
1: Here's some of the newscasts that Jody had made. I'm going to embed these on talkmar.com. I'm pulling a lot of this episode from one source, and that is FindJody.com. These are two of the reporters that worked with Jody. And after she went missing, I think it was probably like six or seven years after, but they created this website, findjody.com. And these guys compiled all the media, all the documents of the case that they can get. And it is the most comprehensive source out there about this case. So highly recommend it. And I'm going to link that too. So here's some of her earlier work as a news anchor.
3: It looks like this year's Indian summer is playing the No Magician Act. The sunny temperatures are here one day, then they disappear the next. This weekend's high temperatures definitely will not be in reach today. Skies are currently cloudy with a cool breeze setting in. Precipitation is likely to hit later on this afternoon. Taking a look no. at today's forecast. Today's forecast shows mostly windy and cool temperatures mm-hmm. with scattered showers. Our high is expected to be in the upper 60s. The clouds will continue through this evening. Wrong. Showers will end, but the windy and cool temperatures will prevail. It seems to be growing. A record 31 mining and exploration companies have submitted 504 bids for the lease of mineral rights on state land. Bids opened yesterday at Iron World in Chisholm will be finalized in December royalties received from the bids will be given to the 11 counties involved in the sale. She seems still uh, well,
2: kind of nervous when yeah. she is Yeah. Well, this um, is reporting. her first
1: go-around, yeah. Oh. She is nervous, yeah. I,
3: you know, it's, what's interesting
2: to I me... I think that's
1: when she was still in college too. Well, maybe right after.
3: Got it. What's interesting to me is that she mentioned in her diary how she wanted to get rid of her accent, but... A lot of the times, news anchors, news agencies I have heard, look for people with like a Midwestern accent hmm. as opposed to a Boston accent or a Southern accent. They like the middle, Midwestern
1: accent. And I want to give a shout out because we were in Raleigh. Greenville. Greenville. And we had two news anchors that were there mm-hmm. at the show. You could so, tell as soon
3: as they open their mouth to read. Yeah, fantastic. I, I I literally was like, oh my gosh, are you a news reporter? And she was like, yeah. All
1: right, Tuesday, June twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five, three a.m. is normally when Jody leaves her home. Which yes, three a.m. Woof. That is three hours after midnight. <sighs> I used to wake up that early actually in the uh, in the military. I bet we would get in formation like at four thirty. I think. <sighs> Yeah, I used to want to be in the military after I watched Cadet Kelly. Well, I joined after I watched Stripes by Bill Murray. Speaking of which, this is the second time I've shouted you out and you still will not answer my phone you, calls. You still haven't
2: shown up to the house, Bill. We're, we're like 10 minutes away, Tops. Uh, but we how does he know our address? He just, he'll find a way. It's Bill Murray.
1: She was supposed to leave her home at 3 a.m. At 4 a.m., Her producer calls her phone. Now, around this time when she's supposed to be at work, there's only three people in the whole news station. I mean, you saw the news station. It's a tiny building, basically. Mm -hmm. There's the master controller, which is the guy that works the electronics. There's Amy Coons and Jody, the two news anchors. One's the producer and one's the anchor. But the producer, Amy, could sub in for Jody if she wasn't there, if she was sick or something. I think that's how they work all of the news anchors. I'm not sure though. So, like they have a, a lifeline substitute.
3: Right. The master controller, is that like the teleprompter person that controls the teleprompter? Do they rehearse the news or is it all live? Like, I don't think it's all live. Sometimes breaking news comes in when they're reading the news, but if she has to be there three hours before the news starts. No, no, no. It's, I think she. The news
2: like goes on air before 6, Oh, I think. But she has to be there by 3.
1: She's got to leave her house by 3 because her and the producer has to put all the stories together and make sure everything's good before they go on air. I think they go on air at 6. I'm not sure, though. But I know it's a lot of preparation because they literally get the stories that morning because that's what breaking news is. They want to get the stories that are happening right now. You know.
2: It was just a regular routine phone call. I called her at 10 after 4. I said, Jodi, are you awake? Are you coming into work? She goes, what time is it? You know, the typical question.
1: So what happens is Amy subs in for Jodi, and she goes on the air. And then after the newscast, she gets off the air and realizes that Jodi still has not come in yet. Then there is a problem. She knows that Jodi should have been here. It's not like her. To completely not come in like this. So some of the other producers go to her house and then they call the police because they do find her car and what seems to be like a struggle that happened in the parking lot. So, Jen, I'm going to show you some of the pictures right now of the evidence from the outside of her apartment. I'm also putting these on Talkmore.com, So be sure to go and check those out. What you're looking at now is in the parking lot. That is actually a drag mark from her high heel that she was wearing. Mm. Do you see how it's kind of indented? So the police get there and can immediately see that she was most likely hit on the top of the head when she left her apartment building, which I'm going to show you more of the apartment here in a second. And then she was dragged probably by her hair and placed in someone's vehicle. This picture you're seeing right now is the drag marks of her heels kind of indenting the parking lot.
3: Of her complex?
1: Yeah, of of the complex. I'm going to show you that in a second.
0: I often find out the hard way that all IPAs are not created equal. Some are hot bombs that forget about flavor. Others only taste good if you drink them with a heavy meal. Fortunately, Founders Brewing Company has found a way to enjoy an IPA anytime and at any occasion with their all-day IPA. You can taste the hops, of course, but it's the complex array of malts and grains that make all-day IPA a beer that will grab your attention. Whether you're relaxing after a long day at work or hanging outside with your friends, all-day IPA will become one of your favorites. It's one reason why Founders is in the top 10 of the nation's craft breweries and a staple in my fridge. When you taste All Day IPA, you'll understand how they got there. Look for Founders in your favorite beer store or check out their full line of beer and now hard seltzers too at foundersbrewing.com. Founders Brewing Company, born and brewed in Michigan since 1997. At Speedway, no thirst goes unquenched, and that includes yours. Right now, any size Speedy Freeze or Fountain Drink is only 99 cents. Find your nearest Speedway at speedway.com/locations. Speedway Summer happens here. Excludes maximum speedy freezer found drink.
1: When Jody usually leaves her work, she carries a bunch of things with her. This right here, can you tell what this is? A hair dryer. A hair dryer. Yeah. So this was found at the scene of the crime too. It's her hair dryer. This is the key to her Mazda Miata. So the theory was she was putting the key inside of her Mazda Miata, the door, and someone blitzed attacked her. That's kind of what. That's the terminology the the investigators use, blitz, it's like the German blitz, mm-hmm. really quick. She didn't know what was coming, probably from behind, hit her on the back of the head.
3: You know, it's interesting, the fact that she was... Abducted before work would make you think that it's someone that was probably watching her and knew her routine.
1: Mm. Oh shit! Yeah, that's a really good point. I've heard that a lot in some of the reports and documentaries I watched about this. In fact, so that's otherwise, the... who
2: else is out and about at three? Yeah, right. three
1: in the morning. And not only that, someone that knew her routine, but that would also mean that they would have to wait an extra hour because remember she overslept, and be waiting for when the sun's coming up. So it kind of makes them more vulnerable because the longer they're there, the more likely they can get caught. So if they were watching her, stalking her, they know that she didn't wake up and leave at 3 a.m. She left at 4. So they would have to wait even longer, which is...
2: So the alternative is that it was somebody who was like in the right place at the right time and saw her and knew that it was 4 a.m. and nobody else was going to be around? Exactly.
1: And that's the argument with... The stranger theory
2: Hmm. is
1: that if it wasn't a random stranger, then that person would have to wait for her to wake up. But if she had... And risk being seen.
3: If she had no one... no, Like, if she was... Her family members, you said, described her as, you know, kind to a fault or, you know, naive. Mm. It could have been, like, someone... That watched her on the news.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: You know, if, if no one would have, if no one had a motive to take her, if there was no reason to be to take her, maybe there, maybe it was someone that was upset about something that she reported on the news, or they watched mm. her, or they became obsessed with her after watching her on the news for so long. Someone that would be up at that time to get her, you know, saying, oh, well she's going to be on the news pretty soon,
1: so I got to get up early to 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 nab her. This is her apartment right here. You see this is her car. This Mazda Miata right here, this mm-hmm. red one. So she actually walked down here. If you can if you guys want to go to talkmur.com to see what I'm talking about.
3: Hmm. She's right, right by, by the... the
1: door, yeah. She's on the second floor. And I'll show you a little video of the apartment in a second, but there's a lot of windows mm-hmm. facing this. So if the kidnapper was in the parking lot, he's being very brazen because there's a lot of windows there and he they could easily see his car.
3: And I would imagine that the stairway would be lighted since it's an indoor stairway and it looks like their overhang maybe was was well lit too. And there was a light in the parking lot. The fact that it was so close to the car,
2: I think it would be much harder for that to be a perfect stranger. Right. Because she did not have very far to go. Right. Like the person would have had to been right there and just be like, oh, this is my shot. Very randomly. It kind of makes me lean more towards this person knew her and knew her car Mm -hmm. and was waiting for her.
1: Real quick, can you describe for our audience the outlay of the apartment here and what the kidnapper had to be dealing with so this is the apartments that she was in this is her car that's her mazda miata right there
2: oh so wait was her car right outside the door yeah
1: it was right outside the door so where this news anchor is walking from
2: oh that's the other entrance yeah that's the other buildings so
1: he walked or so she walked to the car door
2: there's a couple buildings.
1: There's a couple buildings, but there's a lot of windows, too, like front-facing windows mm-hmm. that would be able to see someone just sitting there waiting for her.
3: Not only that, but would it be able to see or hear someone that was in distress?
1: Yeah, there is one resident that did come forward and say that he saw a vehicle. Do you want to guess what type of vehicle that is?
2: A van. Hmm. A van like our logo. Yeah.
1: So this is the white Ford Econoline van, mid-80s. That's the exact same van that's on our logo, but ours is Mm, brown. Yeah. That exact same Econoline model. That's the van that one of the residents, who I think is suspicious as hell, he says that he saw when he was Hmm. up at 4 a.m. doing God knows what. But here he is right now talking about that.
3: It also looks like it could be an old news van.
2: President Randy Linderman was driving to work when he saw a suspicious
3: van in the parking lot of Jody's apartment. Right about here, the parking lights were on. No,
1: I, I think it was far enough over so that no one could get by with another vehicle.
3: Oh, you mean like his Ford Econoline van? Yeah, I
1: know, that's what I was saying. <laughs>
3: oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: what? He's <laughs> like, uh, can we, can we, t- you know what, I, I don't think they actually did anything with this guy. They should go back and look at this guy, man. It's fucking creepy, dude. You know, what? but why? I don't know. Yeah, he has this same fucking van. Linderman's explanation of the van
0: helped police put together this picture. It was used by the local media.
1: Jesus. Linderman. Fucking killer right there. All right. Okay, so...
2: well, speculative. Allegedly. <laughs> Is he alive still?
1: I don't know. Now I'm looking at the timeline from findjody.com, and let's go... And let's talk about the day before. This is Monday, June 26, 1995. She had a news broadcast at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. So, yeah, she obviously goes on at 6 a.m. At 9 a.m., she represents the KIMT-TV annual Mason City Chamber of Commerce golf tournament. She's very athletic, and she's an accomplished golfer. At 3.30 p.m., she's at the country club, and there's about 200 people there that seen her. At 8.24, she calls her friend who lives in Mississippi. Her name is Kelly. She wasn't there, but she talked to her husband, who said she sounded like she was in good spirits. At 9 p.m., around 9 p.m., she showed up at John Van Syce's house, a much older friend, like creepy old. He's like 50, and she's 27. Anyway... Not nothing, nothing off putting there.
3: I mean, some girls like older dudes, you know.
1: She goes over to his house because he had recently threw her a birthday party. He's a local businessman. He's got money, stuff like that. He throws her a birthday party. There's a cameraman there. He films everything. And then he invites her over to his house that Monday night to watch the videotape they made from the birthday party. Now apparently at this time, as multiple friends of Jody corroborated, she actually told this guy John Vanceis, that she just wanted to be friends. So friend zone mm. this dude, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, she's gone. Oh. Now, he does admit that she was at his apartment the night before, and he actually passed the lie detector test and everything else. But he did end up picking up everything and moving to Arizona right after this happened. Interesting. And Nicole, you looked up some stuff about him earlier. So if you want to tell us what you found.
3: You know, it's interesting. I'm sorry to interrupt, but lie detector tests, while mostly reliable, are not foolproof because they actually what they do is they measure your body's stress response and if you're lying you're most likely very like stressed out about them discovering the truth the original lie detector test which was actually created by the same man who created the Wonder Woman series yes that Wonder Woman was like strapped strapped around your heart and it measured your heart rate So it doesn't necessarily measure what if what you're saying is true, but your body's reaction in the response to the questions, your stress level.
2: So he is a person of interest in this case, supposedly one of her closest friends, and they lived in the same apartment complex. Mm. That's how they knew each other. Okay. Uh, he was 20 years older than her. And they shared some mutual interests like water skiing. And he supposedly also enjoyed spending a lot of time with her and her friends. Now, he was single. He was divorced. And she had uh, actually confided in her family at one point that she felt like he was interested in her. Or might be starting to be interested in her. In 2017, there was a search warrant for GPS data from 1999 Honda Civic and a 2013 GMC 1500. Um, the warrant is sealed, um, but supposedly he is one of the last people to see her alive. Hmm. This is from the Globe Gazette. He videotaped a birthday party he threw for Husentrude just days before her disappearance. Van Sice said that Husentrude was at his house the night before her disappearance. Watching that tape. Van Cice passed a polygraph test shortly after Hoosentrude's disappearance on June 27, 1995. Hoosentrude told a colleague that she was on her way to work early that morning but never showed up. Police found signs of a struggle outside her Mason City apartment. So, you know how I was reading some journal entries mm-hmm. before? She He actually makes an appearance oh. in her journal entries. Oh, really? Steamy. Leading in the days leading up to her disappearance. What did it say? So, this is from the Globe Gazette in uh, June 22nd, 2008. The final three entries in the journal, June 12th, 13th, and 25th, Include the name of John Van Sice, a friend who police have questioned in the case. Sunday, June 11, 1995. What a weekend surprise. My Mason City Clear Lake friends threw a big party for me. At a lounge, wild. It was in Clear Lake. They had a 16-gallon keg, huge cake with a skier. So much left. John Van Sice grilled 150 pork burgers. We were dancing on tables, dancing everywhere. Everyone had a ball. Video camera was rolling. Cameras were clicking. Oh, what fun. Life is so good. The party made me feel so good. Tuesday, June 13th, 1995. Last night, John and I went to the Glenn Miller Orchestra in Belmont. I have so many great viewers. People are so kind. This nice weather has me wild. I bought a new Mazda Miata. Simply love it.
1: Wait, she bought that Miata? Because I read one report where one of her friends, like John Van Sant, bought the car for her. Does she say in her diary that she bought it?
2: It says, I
3: bought a new Mazda Miata. Miata. Huh. Interesting.
1: I read one report that says someone bought that for her. Hmm.
3: Well, Interesting. either way, it she, it was purchased very shortly before her death or missing disappearance. Yeah, very
2: very soon. Maybe um, she was just saying like say putting that in her diary to make her feel like she's
1: Yeah. Like yeah. I
2: got it for myself cuz it it's a
1: But it's cute your diary crime. though. Like it's like lying yeah. to yourself, you know.
2: Sunday, June 25th, 1995. Got home from a weekend road trip to Iowa City. Oh, we had fun. It was wild partying and water skiing. We skied at the Coralville Res. I've been on the skis. Hips up, lean, etc. John's son, Trent, gave me some great ski tip advice. Today, Sunday, it was raining in Mason City, so I didn't get any skiing in. I love it. It's addicting. Great friends, but professionally, I'm fed up. It's difficult finding a new job, and I'm confused about agent and what to do. Two days later, Tuesday, June 27th, 1995, Susan Schrute left for work early in the morning but never arrived. She has been missing since that day. I also want to share this interesting article from the Quad City Times that was published in uh, December 15th of 2018. Uh, talking about this guy again. In 1995, Van Syce told CPS he and Hoosenthrut were so close, he'd give her the shirt off his back. I just loved watching her have fun. I tried to watch over her. I so tried creepy. to check in on her once in a while. Not all the time, just once in a while. See how she's getting along, Van Syce said. If you ever go in her apartment and you see men's clothes, they're mine. If oh I had God. a shirt she liked, you know I'd wear it for a while and I'd give it to her.
1: This guy may not have done it, but dude, He's if you're listening to this, you're a fucking creep. I think bro. he
2: was definitely into you're a her, whether or not. Creep, he uh, man. I think that's pretty Killed clear. Her. He he. Holy he had shit! A thing Number one,
1: she's twenty-seven, and you're like sixty, and forty-seven. You're a fucking creep. Yes. Okay, you are a fucking creep. I don't even if you didn't do it, you're still a creep. Yeah. You are a fucking piece of shit creep. Yes. Anyway, so this what we
2: is... I got on that guy. Oh, and he lives in Arizona now, and now he has advanced Alzheimer's. Oh.
1: Oh, now I feel like shit. This is John Van Sice right here.
0: We watched the video, and then after the video was over, we talked about a few things. We talked about my daughter, who's in Italy this summer, and then she... Uh... We talked about water skiing this week, and then from there on, she went down the stair steps and went around the back and got in her car and went home. That's the last I've seen of her.
1: Now, let's talk about some other theories. This is just an overview of the case in general. If you really want to know everything about this case, go to the podcast, Find Jody. They just released their second episode. As I said before, this is the 25th anniversary of Jody going missing and... They're covering everything from the outset. And actually, the reason I wanted to do this specific episode is to shine some light on this case, because this is a case that can be solved. And I think it will be solved. They don't have much evidence as far as fingerprints and stuff like that. They do have a palm print, and I don't know if they ruled out John Van Sys with the palm print or not. I couldn't find that. But you would think they would already have done that. And they have ruled out a couple people with the palm print that they recovered. It was from the top of her Miata. But I'm going to go through a couple more little theories. Now, the first one comes from her sister. And as Jen said earlier, she may have had a stalker. She was very attractive. She's an up-and-comer in the news. She's broadcasting to however many people, probably like, 50,000 or more, I'd imagine. You know, who knows who's watching, how many creepy guys out there are watching. But this is her sister in an interview that she did about a stalker that was following Jody.
2: Oh, well, that seems like it'd be a good lead. Well, the
1: first incident was when that It was broad daylight, and she was followed by a black truck. Let me quickly brush over two other theories. One was Tony Jackson. He's in prison now. He's a serial rapist that was in the area at the time. Now, apparently, they ruled him out completely, the police, Mm. so I didn't even really go down that road. Another one was a guy named Thomas Corscaden. He was another serial rapist working in the area. Uh, Apparently, he was ruled out as well. Another rabbit hole that you could go down was the drug ring theory. Kind of like the Bald Dead member, that Mm. um, Bald Dead member, the cop, may have came across some drugs Mm. being run on that island. It's the same thing. But for this, people think that Jody may have been close to breaking a case and delivering new information about some drug runners and some drug activity in the neighborhood. So, those are some of the theories. And I want to say that John Vansenheist is pretty much the prime suspect. That's who everyone really thinks it is, but I, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I do want to say one thing. Not even a year ago, findjody.com, they had put up several signs in the vicinity of where she was abducted from and one of them did get vandalized and i find this very interesting see if you can read that for our audience
2: someone knows something is it you Frank don's machine, machine shed? shed
1: the billboard you're looking at and i'm gonna put this on talkmer.com the original design says someone knows something is it you and then it shows the picture of jody then it says find jody.com that is The original billboard, that's what it says. And someone had went with some yellow spray paint and wrote the word Frank Stearns Machine Shed. Now, Frank Stearns was the investigator of the case, Hmm. and he does have a machine shed in his property. And here's some more of the backing details that implement this guy and another law enforcement officer as well. Hmm.
3: Well, you would think that the that law enforcement and the news work together regularly.
1: Right. This is from two thousand eleven, Gazette dot com. This right here is a former Mason City police officer, Maria Oi. O H L Oil Oil. So weird. She was terminated from her job on August 4th, 2011, and she claims that she was terminated because she knew too much about the Jody case, and she had information that could break the case. Such she's a, as? She's a 10-year veteran. She was on the police force for 10 years before she was terminated. Now, mm-hmm. this is some of the quotes that she said, if you want to read this, Nicole. This is from the Globe Gazette.
2: Ohl, a 10-year veteran, said she received credible information from an informant in 2007 and again in 2009 who implicated Lt. Frank Stearns, Lt. Ron Vandeweerd, and Bill Basler in the abduction. Ohl said she told her superiors, but heard only crickets. Ohl said they terminated her due to her handling of Jody's case information. It's horrifically disturbing. They're still working on the taxpayer's dollar. The whistleblower was put on administrative leave and
3: terminated.
1: Wait, wasn't that her? Was she the whistleblower? Yeah, she's a whistleblower. I don't know. I mean, she's I'll, saying
3: that, like, saying, oh, like, of course, yeah. they're going to put the whistleblower off on administrative leave and fire me. Because... I
1: haven't seen any conclusive evidence. And this, findjody.com, they don't really believe it's her. I think they interviewed her, and there's no Well, I wonder. There. remember that
2: thing with the, with the reporter that we watched, and we are like, what the fuck? The way she said it, maybe she thought that it was them, too. I'm intrigued by that one.
1: Yeah, so let me go over the case in a nutshell so far. Jody, 27, she worked Mason City at KIMT. A Tuesday morning at 4 a.m., she walks out of her apartment. She goes to put her keys into her Mazda Miata. She gets abducted from behind, most likely got hit on the head or something. Now, I do want to say that A few neighbors did hear a scream around that time, but no one did call the police. She didn't come in for work. Her producer took her slots. Her name was Amy Coons. She actually calls Jody at three a.m. before she was abducted, and kind of wakes her up. Then the police come after Jody doesn't show up for work the whole day, and then we went over some of the suspects, and that's kind of where we are now. It's a nobody case. No one knows if she's dead or alive, but 99% of people presume she's dead, obviously. yeah. Most of this case is just speculation, so I didn't want to go too far down one theory or one rabbit hole, so I just kind of gave you the overview. If you're really interested in this case, I definitely recommend going checking out the Find Jody podcast. They just released their second episode like two days ago, and they're going to release more and more, and I'm, I can promise you they're going to have all the information you could find anywhere on this case so jen what questions do you have
3: i think you guys did a pretty good job covering
1: that's really not a question jen
3: <laughs> well i you know me i ask my questions when they come to my mind
2: well i think you've missed that she what has been pronounced dead yeah in 2001 i believe hmm
1: so, about six years later. And that's pretty much normal.
3: Yeah. I mean, everyone pretty
1: much knows she's dead. They couldn't get any tire traces on in the parking lot of her complex, or? You don't really get tire tracks unless you're in the dirt or you, like, spin out. Like, oh. Like...
2: <whistles> Got it.
1: I mean, you don't leave tire tracks in the uh driveway. You know what I'm saying? Well. I don't know... I do think they will solve this case. It is still an open investigation, so we don't know everything they have. You know, maybe they have some hair samples and stuff like that. Who knows? I do know that they have a partial palm print, and at the time, in 1995, they couldn't do anything with it. But luckily, whoever was running the forensic lab back then decided to get it anyway 'Cause I think the only people that were using it at the time was like the FBI and it was still a new thing. You know, palm prints and new. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our anchor, go to talkmur.com slash join. Become a talk host primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it and I'll dedicate it to you, baby. Right here on the Talk to Me podcast, my name is John here with Jen and Nicole, and until next time. I'm Veronica
3: Corningstone. Tits McGee is on vacation.
0: At Huntington, we've been asking ourselves can we make saving money any easier? And we think we've solved it. Introducing Money Scout. It analyzes your spending habits, income, and expenses to find money not being used in your checking account, then pushes it to savings automatically. Why would a bank do that? Just to help people thrive. That's how we reinvent banking. Huntington, welcome. Subject to eligibility, terms, conditions, and account agreements. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash scout. Me, 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 but also you. (laughs) The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, (laughs) Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, The only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name and Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh?